G'day, gymnastic skill seekers. Welcome back to another GST Junkies podcast. Stretching Ernie. Mr. Ernie, how are you? How are we doing, guys? Not too bad. Um, doing well. Had my coffee, had my breakfast, ready for this podcast and to start my day. Uh, how's things going over on the other side of the world? That's it, mate. We're opposite time zones right now. It's evening here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've just eaten dinner and yeah, just chilling now and thought we'd jump on and do a podcast. It's been a little bit of a little bit of a break between our last one, but you and I have both been busy. Um, you're busy preparing to come back to the sunny side of the planet, mate. I am, yeah. I think since our last call, I've booked my flights, got my got my visa, almost back in Australia now. Just got, um, I think I've checked my, I've got a little countdown on my phone. I've got like 60 days left before before i fly out just counting down the days i can't believe they let you in they must be letting anyone in these days it's crazy <laughs> yeah well you know you, you gotta have the the turkish charm you'd be all right you can go wherever you like <laughs> uh, no, it's gonna be good mate we get to, we get to catch up again in january so i'm looking forward to uh hanging out for a few days hopefully doing a bit of training we should uh record a podcast when we're together as well which should be great yeah, we probably should do some work when we meet up. That'd be a good idea. Yeah, that's it. How's your training going, mate? How's, how's the UK winter treating you and motivating you with training these days? Oh, not going to lie. The uh, UK winter's actually hit me pretty hard this time. I'm also on like quite a low-calorie diet right now, or a restricted diet, let's say. And um, yeah, finding the motivation to train and and uh, work as, as hard as usual is, is not quite there. But um, I've got to that point where I'm just in the in like the complacency mode i'm like okay everything's okay i'm just gonna wait until i get to australia and then i'll, I'll you know i'll start on monday it's that type of mindset <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I know the one mate it's into the end of the year it's everything's slowing down and it's uh sometimes it's just nice to take it easy for take the foot off the accelerator for a little while and then let the shit hit the fan when we go back in january but anyway let's see how we go eh? yeah exactly right, mate, what, are we, what are we talking about today mate it was your turn to uh choose the topic hey today we are talking about uh, quality over quantity and the sort of conundrum that comes with it and like perfectionist mindset that sort of comes, can come with it. And, you know, when should we be prioritizing quality over quantity? Is it always, uh, maybe there's times when actually, you know what, it's better to prioritize some quantity instead of quality. Uh, this is going to be our topic today because it's quite a big one in the gymnastics setting and the GST setting. And, you know, I think coming from such a high quality and like high watched sport uh, from around the world, actual gymnastics and in the Olympics, there can be quite a large setting and quite a large focus around, you know, movements have to be super good quality and look how good their technique is and, you know, look how beautiful it looks. Cause after all it is, judged on aesthetics from from what we've seen pointed toes locked out knees strong posterior pelvic tilts you know the hollow body this shape like we look at it and it's like wow this is it's almost a piece of art so then when it comes to training it as adults who haven't trained it as as kids and we're you know we're just just trying to get stronger or just trying to get a bit more flexible learn a handstand it's very easy to compare yourself to like what you see on the screen you know it's like oh we're doing gymnastics so surely we should look like gymnasts and then you start focusing on these finer finer details um so yeah i thought it'd be a good topic to kind of discuss especially for our audience because you know where do we stand with it where what should we focus on 
uh, it'd be good for you guys to have some ideas or some different perspectives, you know, coming from coaches that have coached a lot of people and actually seeing, actually, you know what, this might not be quite as important as the, the, um, the industry makes it out to be, or this area is a bit more important actually the to do this first and then we do that next yeah 100 mate i think it's a really good point that you make like when we think about gymnastics at an olympic level like it's the aesthetics the gymnasts get marked on how everything looks it's their routines it's their dismounts it's how they perform everything so it's such a high level like quality really really matters um, and then from a young age, obviously, they're being drilled about that. It's all about, like you said, point the toes, PPT, open the shoulders, all the little cues that they get depending on what they're doing. And I suppose a lot of the, the stuff that's come out of gymnastics that's come into more general pop, into coaching, has come from that mindset of, okay, it needs to be perfect or it needs to be a certain level of quality aesthetics-wise. Um, and that if it's not there, then there's something wrong and we have to fix it. Um, and I think you know, different coaches and possibly even you and I, like at different points in our career, we're focused more on one over the other. And I think you don't have to dig very deep into, you know, social media, YouTube, watching videos to hear about different coaches who might value quantity, get the work done, push to failure, all these things that we'll probably cover. And then you might have other coaches that are all about, you know, RPE, like rate of perceived exertion and only work to this much and always save one or two reps in the tank and focus on the quality of the movement. Um, so which one do you believe in? <laughs> <laughs> I actually started from just the quantity kind of perspective. You know, when I first started training, I didn't know anything about form and technique. I was like, I, I'm just, I got a chin-up bar and I was like, I'm going to learn some chin-ups. So I just jump up there, try my chin-ups. And then before you know it, you're doing like 10. And then like you see someone online and he's like, no, you got to do it from dead hang. It's not a full chin up unless you start from a full passive hang and then you get your chest to touch the bar. So then like your perspective changes a little bit because you need a bit of a new challenge for yourself or, you know, someone special on the internet has told you this. You're like, okay, cool. I'll do this because this is the better way. And I've been convinced now it's the better way. So then I started getting a bit more into, you know, the whole seeking quality perspective instead of trying to chase 50 push-ups i was trying to chase the perfect protracted push-up that we'd kind of get covered in movement culture or gst culture whatever it is um so yeah so it kind of like swung from quantity over to quality for a few years but then it ended up doing a full circle <laughs> and, and going back to quantity actually like a few a couple of years ago when i realized I realize it's just impossible to uh, demand basically the highest of quality um, while making good progress uh, from from adults. It's just, it's not, it's not like, it takes a lot longer to make linear progress while keeping perfect quality for everything. Uh, I realized if you actually let the quality drop a little bit, and just focus on a bit more quantity here and there, and then you can kind of alternate. You know, this phase we're doing a bit more quality focus work. This phase we're doing a bit more quantity focus work. Um, if you alternate, you make much faster progress than if you just like stick to one. Especially with the like the high, the high end quality cues and technical form aspects. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so right now it's like I want to say. I definitely focus a bit more on the quantity side of things, especially with new people, depending on you know, who we're kind of training. But quantity usually comes first, and then it's kind of like, okay, cool. Now you've got five reps. Let's clean it up. 
Yeah. I like what you say. There's a couple of things that pop to mind. One is like our education system. And there's kids going through school, we're always told to perform at our best and to do the best. And we're graded on how well we do. So I think there's this perfectionism in all of us. And a lot of people are striving for perfectionism because of our education system and the way we're taught. So it's nice to set a goal to, I want to be able to do this perfect handstand push-up, or I want to do a perfect press to handstand, or I want to do the chest to bar chin up, you know, whatever it is. And it comes back to maybe that idea or that education that we're getting as kids of striving to be the best that we possibly can. And then when we strip it all back and, and sort of what you said, you started with the idea of quantity and it's like as a beginner, like the beginner's mindset shouldn't be about perfection. It should just be about exploring and play and learning the movement and, and knowing that I'm going to suck, embracing the suck at, at a certain level. Like, you know, we could talk about Olympic lifting. Like you go through Olympic lifting, it's such a technical thing. You know, GST, there's so many technical elements to certain movements and there's just no way that we can achieve all of that as a beginner. We've got to piece together individual components and start to learn how to do a snatch or how to do a push-up correctly, let's say, if we're going for quality. Um, but like I say, in the long game, it's like, well, is that the best way to build strength? Is that the best way to build flexibility? Is that the best way to build um, you know, a skill by focusing on perfectionism? Um, and I'm probably similar to you, you know, in the start when I first started doing a lot of training, whether it was the weightlifting and then even into GST, it was more about quantity. I've just got to spend more time doing this, like expose myself to a lot of volume, um, and I'll get better. You know, it's that 10,000 reps idea. Um, but then, yeah, there's a time maybe when I started probably working a little bit more with Ido and, and doing a lot of stuff there, you know, his coaches would review videos and, and if you didn't have a certain quality of the, of a movement, you would fail that movement and you'd have to do it again and again and again until you got it to a certain level. And like that changed my mindset, like, oh, everything has to be fucking perfect. But, you know, after a time of doing that, I was like, why, why do we, why do we worry about this being so perfect? Um, we can look at it and see maybe where we're going wrong and think, okay, well, we can still do this movement, but an area that is a weakness or something that we need to focus on is X, Y, and Z, and let's progress in that phase. Like you said, we could go between quality and quantity and move things around. Sorry, a bit of a rant, but um, <laughs> yeah, they're the two things that sort of popped to mind as you started talking about yeah. um, you know, your own journey with quality and quantity and how you thought about it. Yeah, I feel like once you spent you know, a good five to ten years in this industry or in the practice you've probably had to kind of go like some type of full circle either way if you started with the quality and then realized you have to do some quantity stuff or or vice versa because it's pretty much impossible to just kind of stick down one route from what i've seen it's very hard to just stick down one route and make like good good progress uh over long periods of time like there were i feel like everyone's at some point will have to be exposed to either side of the spectrum. And then mm. usually by the end of it, they come out with this actually relatively balanced approach once they've yeah. spent enough years in it. Uh, I think it both, are very... both, both are very important. I don't think there's one that's more important than other. I think at a time, quality is definitely important and quantity is definitely important. So, um, and I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit offline before we started, is that individual mindset and maybe the big picture of the journey, the goal, where are we heading? 
Um, if we're heading to the Olympics, obviously it's got to be perfect. But, you know, if we're a CrossFit athlete and we're going to the Games, well, quality is probably not going to be high in the aesthetic side of things because it's like reps for time and racing. Um, obviously, you know, they've got their own standards. Let's say push up, it's chest to floor, arms locked out. But, you know, other than that, they can have an arch back. They can have their hands pointing in any direction they like. You know, it's, it doesn't really matter in that sort of context. So what is the goal? What is the individual mindset? Um, what are we working towards? Um, can obviously have a big part to play in, I suppose, the quality over quantity or the quantity over quality. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the CrossFit will definitely have their own standards. They're, they'll just be very different to gymnastics, right? And I think that's why sometimes we can have a bit of a high horse approach when we talk about CrossFit athletes. Like, oh, they got kipping this, kipping that, and arch back here, and banana this. But it's like, mm. but they have their own standards, their own quality standards that they're reaching. And if if they don't hit those quality standards, they're not getting their points. So it's just a different set of standards to gymnasts. But it doesn't necessarily make one better than the other, or one more um, I don't know, more important than the other. It kind of just depends what, what the end goal is. They're, they're still very su- successful in what they do. Obviously, depending on if they, they make it to their games or not. <laughs> you can have some shit CrossFit boxes, I think we all know that, where they won't even adhere to the CrossFit standards. And it's like, that would be a low-quality CrossFit box, right? If you yeah. if you want to think of it that way. Uh, but yeah, I do, I do think that who you're training and what they're training for will determine a lot in terms of just how much quality is needed or just how much of the aesthetic side of the movement is needed to be perfect. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm just training your normal gen pop, we're just trying to get them generally stronger, a bit more flexible, teach them a handstand. I don't want Olympic level gymnastic standards for this person it's just it's unnecessary it's a a waste of resources for them um a waste of resources for me and it's just a lot of extra mental pressure that they don't need i just i want them to just generally get stronger uh, and learn some movements but then if i'm if i'm training a, a coach you know someone who who can train two to three hours a day and someone who's got to like understand concepts to a deeper level and then be able to relay these concepts to their students then yeah i'm gonna expect some higher quality from this person um because they need to understand what makes the difference between these these two variables so that they then make more efficient uh, choices for their own students also it's great for their business you know some somebody who's uh, busting out a really nice handstand line versus somebody's busting out a banana handstand line like i know who i'm going to give my money to if I had to choose between those two and those two variables alone. It's funny, isn't it? It's all, all in the perception, <laughs> mate. If, uh, yeah. It doesn't necessarily make them a good coach. You could be doing a perfect headstand, but that, that, that doesn't mean you can teach it. <laughs> exactly. So maybe you could be wrong there. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, like, just circling back to CrossFit, you know, it, it's it is the purpose like you know the purpose sometimes is to move fast and if they're doing a certain workout you know the quality of the movement can drop because maybe it's about just get the volume in i've got to do this for time but there are other elements of crossfit let's talk about their olympic lifting you know some of these guys and girls going to the games you know they can qualify for 
you know, state level Olympic lifting teams in, in the USA, like their, their quality there and their Olympic lifting is quite high. So again, the demand for them to be able to do Olympic lifting and lift such heavy weights and be competitive demands them to have the quality in their Olympic lifting. Whereas the workouts, the running, the, the high volume pushups, the high volume back to all handstand pushups or whatever they're doing just doesn't require the same level of quality. It's more about volume, get it done in a short period of time. So it can be very individualized, this, this quality and quantity around individual movements or individual goals or, you know, different parts of the workout. Um, and I think a big part of it too is, you know, we talk about gen pop and okay, there's a time where maybe gen pop, you just want to get strong and flexible and, and unlock skills, who can really focus on that quantity part of it. And I think as beginners, it's really important just to be doing a lot more work. But there's also this idea of, okay, well, there's this risk reward ratio that I like to think about sometimes. And it's like, well, what is the risk of injury occurring when we're allowing quality to slip with a particular movement? And if that risk outweighs the reward of that movement, then it's probably not a good movement to be putting in the program until they get stronger, until they get more flexible, until they get more skillful or whatever it is that requires them to be able to do that particular movement with risk lower than the benefit or the reward coming out of, um, of that movement is something I think is important to, to add. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think once the once the quality of a movement breaks down so much to the the point where you're no longer working the muscle groups that are needed for the actual movement, we probably have a bit of a problem. Like something either needs to be regressed or something needs to try and be tweaked, um, because otherwise you're just yeah you could be risking injury or you could just be risking never getting to your goal because you're never training the muscles relevant to achieving that goal um i know if we look at the the handstand push-up for example and if, if, if you're closing your shoulders too much as you're lowering down in your eccentric you end up arching which is okay fair enough but you, more importantly you end up doing like an incline bench press but quite a maybe a bit more of a horizontal incline bench press if you manage to get enough arch into your upper back which i've seen a lot of people do so it's like mm, we're not really training the delts the way i need them to be trained we're gonna have to regress this to a certain level so we can train those delts um otherwise all we're doing is, is bench press and you're, yeah okay your push-ups are going to get stronger but there's probably not much of a chance of us getting a, a real handstand push-up so yeah th this can definitely come into it um other movements i mean we've all seen like you know deadlifts and squats with bad form uh there's definitely higher risks of injury if you're if you're loading the back in a way that you shouldn't be loading the back or don't want to be loading the back for this person or individual or maybe they do just have a bit more of a vulnerable low back like myself if mm -hmm. i arch too much into my my lower spine with a bar on my back a lot of people might be able to handle that my back can't so I'm risking injury there. Maybe not everyone is, but I am definitely risking injury. So I need to make sure that there is like an element of bracing and an element of good quality for my squats. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I think the volume comes into that too. Like, you know, maybe as, as a beginner, maybe they can't squat deep enough and it's like, well, can they still do squats? And it's an individual thing and sometimes it's hard to make that call. Like you need to see how they move, how far off depth they are. Can we elevate the heels? Can that improve depth? 
you know, or do they need to be doing more split squats? You know, it's very individual there. But it's like the volume of work can really expose people to more injury or more risk. So it's like, okay, in that one or two reps or in today's session, the risk might be a little bit low. But if we're doing squats or we're doing deadlifts where it's a lot of volume over a phase or a lot of volume over months or years, then that accumulation of bad quality is going to end up, like you sort of said, maybe training the wrong muscles, not strengthening the right muscles, but just exposing or increasing the chance of pain or injury, which we've sort of got to be careful of. So we can make the excuse, I think, in a way, and it's good to sometimes make the excuse, like let's say you get your first press to handstand, it's ugly as fuck, like knees are bent, things are all over the place, whatever. Um, but that's one rep. And it's a starting point for improvement. Like, okay, let's work on getting better now. What are the things we need to work on? The squat, the deadlift, whatever. Okay, if it's a, not the perfect rep, okay, it's a start. You've got this part of it down pat. Now we've got to think about how can we improve that. So we're, even though we're doing quantity, I think there's still an element of quality where we're maybe striving to get the athlete or the person to move better to a certain point where risk becomes less than the, the reward. Um, and it's not so high in that sort of case. So they, they go together. Like this quality and quantity conundrum, of, as we spoke about, it's just the finer details. I can't say that there's one over the other, definitely. Um, and it's that perspective of how you look at it, I suppose, and the individual goals where we want to get to. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, press the handstand, there's not really any risk. You could, you could have a messy press the handstand all day. <laughs> You'd probably be fine as long as you don't face plant. Yeah. But you know, as soon as you've got a barbell on your back, there's probably a couple of things you, you definitely don't want to be doing mm. as, that, as yeah. that barbell gets heavier. Yeah, that's another yeah. thing to think about. Like, it's like, well, under my own body weight, like, how's that risk of injury? Like, is it high? And maybe it is for someone who's quite weak. But if you've got a certain level of strength and you're throwing your body weight around, maybe the risk is a lot lower um, and you can deal with that. But then when we start to add external loads and when we start to chase weight, eventually there's a break point. Like we're, we're not infinitely, strength is not linear. We're not just always going to be able to put more weight on the bar. Um, and there's always going to be that breaking point. Um, and I think that moves nicely into the concept or the idea about like, should we train to failure? Um, and, you know, there are some coaches who will think that, you know, we can talk about the Bulgarian method where it was just survival of the fittest. It's just like we train someone until they break. And if they break, they're off. And it's like, who survives this high volume, high intensity, crazy amount of work? Um, but then there's other coaches that'll be like, okay, we're not going to train to failure. We're going to always stop shy of failure. Um, what are your thoughts around training to failure and how do you talk about that you know, with your, with your clients? Eddie? Yeah, training to failure is an interesting one because I have like a couple of clients at the moment where they will have three sets of max or two sets of max. Basically, I want them to go to failure on certain movements. But generally speaking, it's not a new movement for them. It's it's something that they've already refined, something they've done for many years or they've done for many reps and they kind of they're comfortable enough with this movement to just keep pushing until they can't do it anymore. Um and then I'll have some clients where I'll I'll never really touch failure, not not at the moment anyway, maybe later. Uh I need them to, to exert themselves, I need them to to, to maybe get close-ish to it or get to a point where form does start breaking down and maybe I'll explain that to them um, but I, w- I would never tell them to basically go until they can't do any more I think when training you, to fate just on that when you program max like 
as a coach, what's your what's your intention behind that? What are you hoping to achieve with the client? And if you want to define a movement, let's say it's max whatever. Yeah, and talk about that. Go for it. But like, what when you program max, what what's behind the intention there? Yeah, uh, usually if I program max, I'm I'm just trying to get them swole. Like it's that simple. It'll be like it'll be like max on push-ups or chin-ups or white. I've got a guy on max wide grip pull-ups at the moment, and like every week he's coming back with slightly more numbers. He's like, you know, he started at five, six, now seven. Now he's like getting to like ten, eleven, twelve, and uh, can see his back growing. Can see his, you know, uh, see his shoulders growing, his his rear delts, etc., his arms and things like this. I mean, don't get me wrong; you can obviously grow without it too. Um, but for me, it's like one of the main reasons for Max is okay, hypertrophy, and also I want to see numbers going up, and I, I want them to know, like, to kind of know that. Uh, but it will always be at like the end of a session. It's, it's like, oh, you'll go to Max, make them burn out on that, finish the session strong, and then they'll feel good. Also works well with people who respond mentally well to having a good pumpy session, if that makes sense. Uh, like I'm one of these people, for example, I know. If I'd, I can't do many, but if I do like one set to max to like finish my session, I know I'm going to feel good the rest of the day. So that's uh, it's one of the another incentive to hit and max. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's an interesting one, Max. I do use it as well, and and yeah. I'm agree with you. It's a lot of times it might be around hypertrophy. That's a good thing to throw in there. Sometimes it might just be a, a test. It's like, well, when was the last time you did max push-ups? How do you know how many push-ups you can do? It's a nice sort of thing to like. It's like it's still like testing a one RM or a three RM, but it's the opposite end of the scale. It's like, okay, what is your strength endurance like? You know, I think um, you know. An example is you know a lot of females might come to me and they can't do one push-up. Then we get one push-up, and then we're training push-ups, and then they got five push-ups. But if we never tested max, how do you know that they're going to be able to do five? It helps me as a coach to better program as well. If I know how many they can do as max, well, then we can start to program quality sets in there. Um, and the third reason I think that sometimes I use max is I want to see the point of failure. I want to see what that next rep looks like. And it might be, let's say it's a push-up. And what is the point of failure? Like, do you go down and not be able to get off the floor? Do you manage to push halfway back up and the back arches? Um, do you maintain the hollow body position and not be able to push off, off the ground at all? Like, what is the point of failure? Um, and this can sometimes help us to decide, well, what's in the next phase? What is the point of weakness? Um, and what is the next thing I need to strengthen more of maybe? Um, so sometimes I might use Max just to get a perspective of, yeah, volume of work, muscle endurance, or even that just that, that point um, of failure. Yeah. Yeah. How, I think... how do your clients go with failure, mate? How do they perceive failure? Do you have any deep and meaningfuls about failing reps? Is it, are there any tears? Like what happens? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got different, different types of people when it comes to failure. You've got those who just won't ever get near it, um, as in they just won't want to. They don't, I mean, you can try and force them. If you're with them, this is where like, one-to-one -one coaching can really come in handy it's like no you got another two reps in the tank keep going <laughs> but like with online coaching it's too late if you see the set you know like so many hours after they they've posted it uh, after they've completed it they give it they send it to you and you're like mm, you've had some more reps in the tank here and they're like oh okay i'll try next time but they don't you know they, mm. they you get a lot of this some of them do but a lot of them a lot of them won't i think there is like a quite like an inner psyche 
um, correlation to failure as well. It's like, what can this person handle mentally? How much stress can this person tolerate and deal with? Uh, going to failure isn't easy. It's very expensive. It's like, it's a very expensive resource, both physically and mentally, because you have to be willing to push beyond the point that you know is either changing your form, changing your set, or something that you're you're not kind of able to do, but there's something, so there is something there in the muscles that will kind of keep going. Like, you ever tried going to failure on leg extensions? It's horrible because you can just keep going for a long time. You can always find more. But like mentally, it's it's exhausting. It's really, really tough. So, yeah, I I don't, I never like, put it this way, like I, I because you can see progress without hitting failure, I don't make it a thing where like I need someone to push the failure. But there will be times when I do need someone to just try a little bit harder on their push-ups or on their handstands. Um, and I'll, I'll, re- I'll reiterate that to them. I won't necessarily tell them you need to push the failure, but I'll tell them you need to put a bit more energy into this or you need to put a bit more effort into this if I feel like their body mm. can handle it. And then slowly the, the brain and the resilience will adapt. Yeah, that's it. The brain. I think your brain needs to adapt. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. It's, it's a therapy. Good, it's a good point you make because I think it comes back to that perfectionism and we're, I think there's a fear of failure. And it's a real shame because I don't see it as failure. And I, I, I try to work with my clients to change that mindset a little bit sometimes because oh, I didn't get the total number of reps, I failed. Or I didn't get the whole time, so I failed. Or I didn't achieve what you programmed, so I failed. And it's like, well isn't this actually a sign that you worked as hard as you possibly could? Like if you're lifting a weight and, and you don't get that last rep out, well, that's awesome because you've pushed yourself to the brink. You've moved yourself to the limit. And for the body to adapt, sometimes we need to apply a certain amount of stress. And if you're not willing to push to the limit, sometimes the adaptation process is going to be slower. Now, I'm not saying that every set should be to failure. I don't believe that that should be the case. You know, But there are times in our training where I think the mindset has to be I'm going to push to failure in terms of the reps because that's a success because I know I'm working as hard as I possibly can here. It's like the max reps of push-ups. If I don't go and do my max reps of push-ups, well, how do I ever know how many push-ups I can do? And is the program always going to be too easy for me? If I can get five sets of five push-ups, is that a success? Or is that actually you failed to work harder? Potentially, you could have done five sets of six or five sets of ten. Like we've got to think about that outside the box a little bit. And when we do achieve something new, when we do unlock more reps, more hold times, a new skill, like how good does that feel? And I think sometimes people just need to push a little bit harder. Like you said, give a little bit more. Um, What happens if you fail? Like you're not losing sponsorship money. You're not losing a contract. You're not losing a gold medal. Like what are you really risking when you fail? Um, as long as it's in a safe environment and the risk is an injury, I think there's a time and a place to work to failure. And that failure or working to failure, I just want to say, is a success. And I try to encourage that in my clients a lot of the times. So it's just like, try a heavier weight. If you don't get the reps, I don't care, but you tried that weight and you know that you can do it for six reps. And then four or five weeks time, maybe you'll do it for seven. Like, you know, let's look at that way or this skill or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I think there's a time and a place. Yeah. Don't be scared to fail is what we're going to say. Yeah, don't be scared to fail. And then if you like bring that back into the, the quality argument, are you someone like it, how much quality are you willing to sacrifice for them to hit 
max failure. Like I, I generally have this rule where it's like if your if your movement starts to deteriorate to the point where you're no longer using the main agonist muscles to perform that movement and it changes. <laughs> um, you know, like the handstand push-up or the piked push-up, for example. Uh, I have one of my students on piked push-ups at the moment and she will push herself to the point where it turns from like using her delts to using her pecs and she'll just kind of keep going off the pecs. But I've had to tell her, it's like, look, you're really good at pushing yourself, but I need that tension to remain on the delts because we're working your pecs somewhere else. We don't need to work them in this movement. And I don't want to create those bad habits for your handstand push-up. Um, so, so it becomes, okay, go to failure, but only until uh, your shoulders start to close. Once your shoulders start to close, like that's it. You, you're going to have to call that quits. And that's your max reps. This sort of circles back to, you know, what we were talking about before, like the, the big picture, the journey, the goal of where we're trying to head. Like, um, and it comes down to the movement as well. Like, you know, you're talking about pike push-ups there in a sense of progressing towards the handstand push-up. Um, so it's like, well, the quality does matter because we can teach a bad movement pattern and ingrain that bad movement pattern so that then it's hard to break that bad habit. Like you say, if we're used to relying on the chest to start pressing and we can't get enough of the shoulders in pressing, we're just always going to fall into that chest pressing. So we've got to like, okay, we've got to teach you break that bad habit and get those shoulders doing the pressing here. And you, you spoke about it earlier. It's like that regression of movement sometimes to progress, um, you know, dropping back so we can get the quality in there. We can train the right muscles to get them stronger. So then we can progress back to, let's say, the pike push-up with higher repetitions in that context. Um, and I think that's important to know because it's like, I could try and tell someone to train bicep curls to failure, like every day, like whoever, doesn't matter because the chance of them using the wrong muscle fibers or throwing something out in a bicep is quite low. But yes. in, a more, in a more complex movement like a pike handstand push-up, you know, that training max reps or training to failure, there's a lot that can go technically wrong with that um, and still grind out more reps. And are those grinding reps actually got a purpose? Like where are we heading with that? If it's CrossFit and it's a workout of the day, maybe not. But if it's progressing to a stricter handstand push-up, then maybe so. So. Um, that's where movement selection and the idea about the movement selection, what am I looking for, quality or quantity in this, um, the big picture, the journey where we're heading. Um, there's a lot to think about when it goes into that sort of programming, isn't it, and, and where the client wants to take it. Yes. And I, th I think also what's really important with it is what else is in their program that's training the same pattern if they have anything. So, for example, if like their A1, so their first exercise for the handstand push-up, um, they're hitting a point where the the form breaks down and it starts moving onto the chest. I think it's a no go uh, because I generally need the A one to be a lot more, a lot closer to the main movement pathway that I'm trying to train. So let's say that A one is eccentrics instead, like handstand push up eccentrics. They're performing them really well, great. Then I might give them a bit more leeway in their Bs or their Cs mm. for things to break down a bit whatever, go through the nitty gritty, go through the hard push, go through the hit, go through the failure if you want to um, and let the form break down a bit if you need to because I know that your body's getting the stimulus it needs in a different exercise. But if that's not the case, they just have like maybe maybe I'm um, putting them onto like maintenance or maybe they're just having lower volume on a certain skill for whatever reason this phase. 
uh, they've only got one exercise for this specific skill because I just need it to be in there somewhere. I'm going to need it to be a, a good enough quality so that they can maintain that that pathway or that type of con motor control or conditioning for the movement um, because they don't have anywhere else that they're training it for a strict enough pathway. So mm. It's I obviously that... like a case of fatigue too. Like our A1, you know, we're, we're fresh. We're, maybe we've done a warm-up, but we're ready to go. We're quite fresh. The nervous system hasn't been taxed. The muscular system hasn't been taxed. That's where the quality work really has to happen at the start of the session. And as we go through that session, you know, we are going to fatigue. So we can go from high quality A's to, you know, obviously we're trying to get simpler as the program goes along. So the level of the athlete here really matters. And then the nervous system is going to be taxed. So the most neurologically demanding exercise needs to be at the start of the session. And as we progress through that, we want to be moving away from that neurological drive, probably more towards a hypertrophy end of the session or higher volume or simpler movements, something that's going to be easier, less chance of injury, work where athletes can go to failure or push out quantity over quality. But ideally, the quality, if the quality is a big focus that's got to be at the start of the session where we're fresh. I think that's a, that's a great point to make there earlier about that. Um, and like you say, there is that fatigue kicking in. And as we go on, we might be able to accept more drops in quality because we're just trying to smash maybe more motor muscle units and we're trying to increase hypertrophy and that's the nature of the game sometimes yeah yeah exactly exactly just just push for it get it done like i know you've done your important work earlier i know you i know you can execute the movement if we need to on demand um so at this point just trash yourself <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's interesting because like, i think strength is a really good thing with that like when we talk strength like you know your ability to output force is a combination of the neural drive and the cross-section of the muscle so we can increase neural drive working on a lot of the quality stuff early in the session and then we can increase the cross-section of the muscle with more hypertrophy stuff the volume if you're not willing to put in the volume the quantity of work well then you're going to struggle to build your strength because the cross section cross section of the muscle is not going to be high if you don't want to focus on the quality of work then the nervous system work that you do is not going to be as great as well so the equation of strength is we need both we need to have the quality of movement a lot of movements you know, like the handstand push-up, yeah, okay, we can do that arch back handstand push-up like you talked about before, the banana one, using more of our chest or whatever. But I'm going to argue that that's, more, that's costing more energy than a tight, perfect rep handstand push-up. Like once you've built the ability to be able to do a strict handstand push-up with tighter form, I reckon you're going to progress a lot faster in terms of the volume of reps you can get out and the strength gains than if you kept trying to do that banana rep push-up and that could just be my opinion but i think you know there's a lot of movements we can talk about in gymnastics where once you've got the quality there it's actually more energy efficient when the quality is high and it can be more energy taxing when the quality is low but you might not have the strength to do the high quality but you've got the capacity to be able to do you know that exercise agree or disagree but that's that's my chain of thinking around that yeah I probably disagree on that one. <laughs> it's funny because like an instance I can I can quote about this is we can look yeah. at one of the best ever CrossFit athletes in Rich Froning. Now, this guy I wouldn't call him the strongest guy in the field. I wouldn't even call him the fittest guy in the field. But if you watch how he moves, he's the most efficient guy 
in the field when he used to compete. So what would save him a lot of times is his engine, his ability to keep going where others would break down. And it came down to some of his efficiency. One of the best things I think he's got is like his thrusters. He's got this technique and this form that he uses in his thrusters that saves him energy. And when he's doing that amount of work, it just, over the long haul, it just gives him the better average. Um, and that's, yeah, that's maybe a different perspective, yeah. but an idea where I think if you're doing quality work, the average of your reps, the average of what you're doing is going to be higher and it's going to save you energy or efficiency in the long run. I think the average will definitely be higher, but I don't know if it will save um, energy. I think if you're, I think it's quite expensive to go for perfect quality. Uh, I, basically, I think quality and efficiency aren't the same thing. Uh, efficiency is generally being able to save enough energy so you can go for longer. Uh, I know right now, if I if I let my back arch in push-ups, I will go for longer than if I have a flat back. Yes, yeah, if that makes sense, right? But um, but the flat back one is going to look nicer. But it won't be as many reps. It's just, I mean, it's kind of that simple. What, what what lets you down there though? If you're trying to maintain that tight hollow body position and you're going for push-ups, is that upper body strength that lets you down there, or is it I don't have the core strength and then I start to lose the form in the push-up there? Like, what's the key? Uh, it'll be it'll be a, a slight combination of both, but probably more so the the upper body strength. As soon as you start to arch, um you turn it into like a little bit more of a decline chest press, which is always a lot stronger than like a complete flat chest press, basically. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but then you take that forward into, let's like, let's say we're going to, to a planche push-up, which maybe could be a progression. This is going a long way around. But yeah. if you've done quality push-ups, then the chance of doing a planche push-up is much higher than if you've done the archback push-ups. Oh, yeah. So the chance of progression yeah is is easier of course because you, you've had to get stronger to do the higher quality movement yes but so so if we're talking about like efficiency for progress then yeah this is a different a different argument if we're talking about efficiency for max reps then it's yeah. but there's a point where i think there's a point where like we get add load we could say okay now we're going to do push-ups with load if you do an arch back push up and I put weights on your back, are you going to be able to push a heavier weight than if you do hollow back push ups and I put push up on your put weight on your back? Which one's going to be stronger? It'll probably be hollowing out a little I bit. See, I want to see this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just easier to push if you if you arch a little bit. It just is um, based on the being able to use the, the slightly different planes of the pack. Maybe just start uh, worming, mate, and getting the ripple going, you'll be all right. Yeah, just the, the caterpillar push-ups. I think in the but long yeah. run, I'm just saying, I think in the long run, we could talk about thrusters or we could talk about push press or we could talk about pull-ups. I think yeah. if the goal is to get stronger with those movements, then the, the, the quality of the movement there is potentially going to drive strength higher. It's going to be harder initially, and maybe you can't do the volume of work as you could with shitty reps on a light weight like quality in terms of reps. I'm getting quantity, but obviously the weight has to be lighter. But in the big picture of things, if I want to progress that movement and get strong, there's got to be a certain element of quality of movement in there. Like we if you about, want... Yeah, where you go. Yeah, if you, I think if you want to progress the movement based on GST principles and based on how GST progressions work in terms of 
you're doing the push up so you can progress to planche push up um so you can sort of progress to piked push ups and then hands to feet elevated pike yeah all the way yeah. to handstand and then from handstand push up to 90 degree push up based on how based on there being a progression in motor control and mechanical development there has to be some mm. type of emphasis on quality generally speaking it might not need to be perfect um i think some people can still really overdo it like i have this story i want to i'm going to talk about where a guy was telling me that for my push-ups i need and my hand my pike push-ups i need like to have my keep my scapula perfectly protracted and my serratus anterior like super engaged for these reps for me to ever be able to do a handstand push-up um and then i spoke to my coach and he was like uh this is bullshit he's like just look at this video and he showed me a video of gymnastic athletes training and doing i think this this guy did 11 to 12 full range gymnastic ring handstand push-ups so feet not on the the straps the guy was doing full hands and push-ups with scapular winging he's like there is zero protraction in this this guy can do more handstand push-ups than you and the guy who's telling you to stay (laughs) protracted um and he can also do a clean handstand push-up if he needs to uh for the actual gymnastics um like mm. competing you know if, if you're getting judged for aesthetics so so he's like so what this guy is saying is basically it's irrelevant like you don't need to get to this anal i, I say anal like okay you don't need to get to this autistic or ocd level <laughs> of perfectionism if you want to make progress but you do need to have some level of movement efficiency for you to keep making progress like you can't just keep doing it with this hollow back or uh, arch back and flare chest mm. because it's not going to get you to to the the last stage or the later stages of that that movement progression you know so i do think there's a there's like a bit of both in there and it's like to what level of mm. quality are we kind of chasing because I've, I've heard like some people get really into it and really in depth with the, the details it's like it's probably not relevant yeah, I think, like I said before, it comes back to the individual where they want to get to. Like, you know, some yeah. people just want to be able to stand on their hands and do a handstand. And, like, yeah. does the line need to be perfect? No, it doesn't. Um, some people just want to do a press to handstand. Do the legs need to be perfect straight? Does the core compression need to be fantastic? Do they not need to planche lean? You know, we can pick on so many elements. It's easy to pick on someone and say, mate, your shoulders aren't protracted in your handstand push-up. You suck. But what's the story behind that athlete? You know, where have they come from? Where are they going to? What's the goal? What's the big picture? Um, yeah, I don't think we have to have that perfectionism there sometimes. It's just like um, being able to enjoy the journey, being able to unlock new skills, being able to see progress in our strength, whether that's more reps, whether that's more weight, you know, whatever it is. And that can come from quality or quantity. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely important. Just to circle back on like um, that, the Fabio conversation we'll have, like um, I know a lot of coaches who use RPE, so rate of perceived exertion. Um, what are your thoughts around RPE? Have you used RPE? Um, yeah, interested to hear that. I think it definitely works. Um, I, I used to work in a pure gym where there were some like upcoming powerlifters in there. Some of them were staff members and some of them were just members, but they'd all trained together. And uh, I was looking at their programs because one of them was a powerlifting coach as well. And he would use RPE uh, in a lot of the programming. Uh, and this same guy went on to being like in the uk top three powerlifters so I, like i would never say rp never work it doesn't work this is the thing um i know it works like 
you've got professional powerlifters using it in their programming, but it's not something that I use per se, or something that I. It's not even that I don't agree with it. I just I don't think it's as useful for my environment, for the type of people that I train, and for the goals that they're working with. I think um, I think RPE is quite an expensive, again, mental resource, like energy wise to like try and have to figure out your RPE for each exercise, each session can get quite a lot when you're also working on things like tempo. If you're doing some, it's the thing, some people that do RPE might not use tempo. So you have to kind of like pick your battles. Um, you're working on techniques, so like the technical elements of some of the gymnastic movements. Uh, you're working on some flexibility stuff, some hand balancing stuff. Like basically a lot of my students are already working on so many things that there's a lot for them to consider. But for me to throw RPE into the, the recipe, it's just like another variable or layer that I don't think that they need. For me, it's like I give them a target for the end of the phase. So I say, okay, if you're uh, lifting this much weight, X amount of weight right now, um, in six weeks' time, I expect you to be lifting roughly this much for this many reps and sets. So that gives them like a, a bit of a mental target and goal for them to reach towards. Whereas I think RPE is a bit more micromanagement for each session it's like, okay this session you need 80 percent rpe this session you're looking at well, 8 l 10 rpe this session you're looking at like 8.5 to 9 and then it's like every week it kind of changes it's for me it's too much micromanagement because they've already got too many things to consider yeah 100 percent. yeah i've never i've uh, i've used rpe before like when i used to own the crossfit gym i'd use rpe mainly in like the workouts where we do interval-based workouts. So it might be, okay, we're going to do five deadlifts, we're going to do 10 box jumps, and we're going to row 15 calories, and then we're going to rest two minutes, and we're going to repeat that. And I want you to work at an RPE of eight because I want you, which is like 80%, let's say, I want you to be able to keep the times of each interval as close as you possibly can. Whereas if they go out at 100%, they fatigue themselves early in the first few intervals, and then the last few intervals, their times just blow out. So it's like teaching them to move well or teaching them to slow down so that they can be consistent across the intervals. So that could sometimes help with that sort of workout. Also, I think like when we're doing weights, like a lot of times when I might program weights, if an athlete knows their 1RM or 3RM or whatever percentage, then we can use percentages. So it might be like 80% of that, 90% of that, 95% of that. And we can be programming RPE by using percentages where the coach is dictating, okay, these are the weights I want you to lift. Not every set is going to be 100%. I want you to, you know, grease the groove. I want you to focus on the quality of the movement at a lighter weight, which is what a lot of powerlifters do. They don't go around lifting one RM every day. That every day they step into the gym, like they're trying to peak for their competitions. And a lot of what they do is at a lower RPE or a lower percentage. A lot of what Olympic weightlifters do for most of the year, they're training 60, 65 percent of their one RMs because they can still build strength and speed and power at these lighter weights. And again, they don't want to risk injury or they don't want to tax their nervous system so highly that they can't get the volume of work in that they need to be able to compete at such a high level. Um, so I think there's time and place with that. And one of the things I think with the gymnastic stuff is how do you compare a handstand push-up to a pipe push-up? What percentage of RPE is that? And what is a pipe push-up percentage RPE to push-up percentage RPE? It's a little bit harder to sort of go the correlation between a lot of different movements sometimes. Um, 
and I think that can sometimes get lost, but we can program like reps. So, so if you've got this client who's doing five pike push-ups, and let's say maybe her last rep on each one is this banana chest one, you know, you can drop it back in the next phase. Let's say you've got to do on five sets of five, you know, next phase you might do seven sets of two, or it could be seven sets of three, because you know that she can do quality reps lower and you sneak volume in by this so you're forcing her to do a lesser rpe because of the reps so i think there's definitely ways to work around it um i do see it like sometimes there are coaches in calisthenics will go okay we're going to do chin-ups and i want you to leave two reps in the bag so you're doing you know nearly max chin-ups but it's like saving it don't go to complete failure um and they're talking about the quality of movement if we go to complete failure we might start to twist or turn or lose the quality of shape or in the pike push up the same sort of deal so i do see its place um and some coaches do like to use it but yeah i don't i'm not a not a huge IPA yeah. user myself either yeah to be fair reps in reserve i do use for a couple of people um and it's for the ones that struggle to not go to failure <laughs> like i've got like a couple of guys a few guys now where they will just push themselves to failure almost every set. And I, I noticed that on their earlier phases. So I'm like, mm, I don't want you to keep doing this. You're not an athlete and you can't afford to do it. Uh, and also I just need you to leave some extra energy for other work. So I started putting the notes, leave one or two reps in the tank or leave two or three reps in the tank, depending on what it was. Um, and they did. And they made faster progress. <laughs> so Ball in a china shop, mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, it's quite it's quite hard to find, you know, people that are willing to push themselves that hard. Uh, mm. Mostly Eastern Europeans, actually. <laughs> but when you do, your own method, mate. There it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe it's their education system over there. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but they they're great. They're they're, they're really good at being like sticking to the program, just getting the reps in, just pushing themselves hard. Mm. Um, but yeah, when you see it, you ha you have to pick up on it and you have to deal with it because otherwise, the they're just they're constantly burnt out and they don't realize it. You know, if they don't feel a hundred percent for their session, it makes no difference to them. They'll just like in their heads, it's like, stop being a pussy. I'm just going to go and work out. I'm going to do the thing. But you know, if some people, if they don't, if they don't feel a hundred percent for the session, they're like, Oh, I'm going to take it a little bit easier or, Oh, I might skip today's session, you know? So it's like, you got like, again, like the two extremes. Um, I, I obviously much prefer the person who just turns up disciplined, doesn't care about how they feel. But then I need to make sure that their program facilitates for that mindset, if that makes sense. So I will, I will make sure I tell them, leave a rep or two in the tank. Um, and then maybe I'll give them one set. On the last set, go all out because I know they love it. Yeah. 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 I think there's some people that just adapt better to that sort of stuff. Like you can see a lot of like a lot of calisthenics athletes, like they just do a thousand reps, everything. It's like I do a thousand push ups or a thousand pull ups in a week. I do like they just do lots and lots of volume of the basics and then they do get strong and they do, you know, have good form. A lot of these guys, there are obviously some that don't, but some athletes can handle that high volume, that go, go to failure, that sort of burnout stuff. And maybe it's lifestyle factors. They're less stressed people. They've got a you know, more calories in their diet, maybe less stress at work, no no relationship stress, no family stress. Who knows what's going on outside of that picture? Um, whereas other people, they def definitely can't handle that working to failure or such high quantities of work. Um, and it's sometimes better to be able to, like you say, understand the individual and what works best for them and being able to program around that because high volume for someone who's stressed out is going to slow down progress. Um, and they'd be better off doing less quantity 
and maybe more quality. Uh, and then you've got the others who just want to smash themselves and they'll probably progress faster with some of that stuff as well. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interest, interesting conundrum, mate, as we say. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, lifestyle factors definitely got to play to it. Like we, you know, we used to be in calisthenics groups, didn't we? And like mm. the guys that were doing the best um, in calisthenics, they, they would be pushing themselves to failure quite regularly. I feel like they already had a lot of years and like thousands of reps in the tank already. Whether or not they were pushing themselves to failure at the beginning, we don't fully know. But in their sessions, they definitely were, you know, like five years, 10 years down the line. But then when we looked at them, like calisthenics was their life. That's that's all they focused on. You know, they didn't really have any stories outside of calisthenics. They didn't really have any any lifestyle, many lifestyle interests outside of calisthenics. Most of it was just, this is how many days I train. This is how long I train. And this is what I'm working towards. Like when you spoke to them, that's it. Yeah. So... Definitely, a guy definitely. That used to come to our gym um, and he used to do all the calisthenics work in the gym and he'd come and he'd train himself for like three hours and you know he'd do 10 sets of pull-ups and 10 sets of dips and 10 sets of everything and he would just go to complete failure now this dude was ripped like yeah. built like a brick shit house and he was just really good at that but that's the way he trained himself for years yeah. and then the other thing is he only tra- he trained three times a week like he, yes. he trained hard when he trained and he trained for long periods but then he had rest and then he'd yeah. come back and he'd train hard again. Um, so, yeah, sometimes we don't see that. We just sort of see these guys doing crazy workouts, but we don't see the rest and stuff that goes in there. But then his job wasn't a stressful job. He used to drive a van and do deliveries all the time, you know, yeah. so he'd sit, sit in the car and drive and do whatever. And then he'd come to the gym and he'd be full energy and away he'd go. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. tip for that, isn't it? Like, and he probably got eight hours of sleep every night, no worries. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely did. I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was a beast, mate. And like he still is, and he still trains, probably still trains the same way now. But, you know, that's what his body's used to. That's the way he's, he's yeah. you know, got used to his training. And I'm not going to say the qual- the quality of all his movements were great, but it was pretty high with most stuff. And the stuff that wasn't perfect was probably new skills that he was trying to unlock. And you give yes. the guy a couple of months and then he'd have it. And he'd be like, damn, how does he progress so fast? But, but yeah, a beast. that's a guy with a very big base and, you know, yeah. very big will for his practice is like you said three days a week or three long days in those weeks training sleeps well recovers well but again doesn't really do much outside of it it does i remember i remember he had a he had a wife and he had a kid as well didn't he but but he seemed like to have quite a flexible lifestyle in terms of he could just pick and choose his own hours and do what he wanted yeah, to do what he wanted to do <laughs> i yeah. don't think he was a stay-at-home dad very much mate to be honest but anyway no. um Question on this then. So we've talked a lot about skill. We've talked a bit about strength and the quality and quantity. How do you use quality and quantity and flexibility training? Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is quite different. I think uh, like we were saying with, you know, something like Olympic lifting, you can't risk having shit quality. Right? It needs to kind of be there. And sometimes different movements will require different uh, levels of focus or, or of intention. With flexibility, um, if we're kind of going for the main position, so let's say, so because in flexibility, like I see flexibility develop, uh, development as you have the main positions you're trying to actually get flexible in. Because I come from, again, like a GST perspective on flexibility training, we're looking at the big five the head to toe or pike, uh, the pancake, middle split, bridge, um, and the front split. So those five things would be considered like main positions. Like we're trying to do them properly and do them well. 
because we need them to look to a certain extent, but we also need the muscles to be stretching in specific ways. Um, and that's where quality might be quite important. But then we have like the accessory movements, which help teach us those positions and help teach us how to use certain muscles. For example, I need your um, hip flexors to get stronger for the front spit and for the pike. I need the that front leg to be straight in front of you. But for that to happen, I need the hip flexors and quads to be stronger. So we're going to be doing some front scales, basically like standing, lifting the leg up, pulling it back down, up, down, or maybe doing like uh, knee raises with a, a kettlebell on your foot. I never actually gave you this drill, but um, something I've been using recently is like a weighted hip flexor raise. Mm. There might be times when I don't mind about the quality dropping because I just need you to trash those hip flexors. Um, it's essentially, it's almost like strength training for the hip flexors. But then after that exercise, I expect a good quality Jefferson curl. You know, I expect you to do a good quality movement here, the way you're focusing on the stretch in the right place and you're focusing on the spinal articulation and the hips rolling as you get lower into the Jefferson curl um, because I need the stretch to be in the right areas so you can kind of get a bit more flexible there. Uh, I think it, basically it kind of comes down to like if you're if there's a certain area that you're trying to stretch or a certain pose you're trying to recreate physically you need the quality to be quite high but if there's a muscle that you're trying to get stronger um a specifically agonist like through shortening that muscle then you can probably afford a bit more of the quantity over quality perspective mm. I mean, obviously a big part of flexibility training, we talk about the agonist antagonist and we talk about strengthening the opposite muscles, like obviously to pull us into certain stretches. So like the strength ideas or mentality we've talked around quality and quantity probably apply for that. Um, but yeah, there is that idea of like holding long stretches and static stretches or the quality of the stretch. And I think a part of it, like and it really comes down like education like educating the body how to set up for the big five i like to add big six because i think the german hang should be in there but that could be a talk about <laughs> topic for another time but anyway yeah, i think like you've got a there's a lot of education about teaching the body what that right position is and we talk a lot about sensation how that feels um and i think like when quality maybe lacks in a lot of the big five it actually comes back to not understanding or not being able to get into the right position or the right shape. And let's say that could be to do with hip internal rotation or hip external rotation, or it could be the tight hip flexors or the weak hip flexors. And there's these all these little elements or you, know, you said accessory work that we're going to work to help us get into the big five. And like that accessory work could be where the quantity of work comes in, where we're trying to do a certain amount of strength training or stretching to improve the position of the big five, which is the quality of those, you know, those end movements, like you sort of said. Um, it's a hard one to like define, isn't it? Or it's a hard one to sort of, I'm trying to think of a clear way to talk about it. But in my mind, that's what I'm sort of picturing. We're trying to work to this, let's say, aesthetic style of, let's say, the front splits where, you know, the hips have to be square, the torso's upright, you know, the the ball bags on the ground, whatever you want to say, you know, we're trying to get to that position. Um, 
but the, what's stopping us and what, what can we do to fix those limitations um, that are stopping us from getting the aesthetics or the quality in that front split? Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, like essentially the, the aesthetics of those positions can only happen if you have built enough in the right areas in the right if, if if the right engines have been fine-tuned enough the right parts of the body have been fine-tuned enough the right muscles have been stretched or strengthened then you can produce a high quality kind of front split if that makes mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. so if you don't have enough hip extension you're not going to doesn't matter how much you try you're not you're just not going to get a, a squared hip front split um if you don't have in you know enough hip flexion on the front leg you won't get uh, a very well squared hip front split mm. so it's, it becomes like an engineering process yeah so if we switch that and we talk about the gymnastics bridge let's say so we're trying to get into the gymnastics bridge it's that arch you know hands are on the ground feet on the ground glutes are contracted we're lifting right up and we've got that really strong arch in that gymnastics bridge the quality of that gymnastics bridge like to get it into like what a gymnast has is amazing most of us are probably never going to get there so um, and then a lot of us are going to be super, super, super tight. Like a lot of adults really struggle with that openness of the shoulder and that thoracic spine extension. So how much do you let the quality there drop? And what are we trying to train? If the quality isn't there, are we trying to get more quantity? Are you trying to get more quantity into back extension, shoulder flexion? Like what's going on in your mind when you're programming, yeah. let's say a gymnastics bridge for someone that's really stiff? And talk a little about quality and quantity if you can. Yeah, because this this might be where we need to define what do we mean by a good quality bridge? Because obviously, if you don't have the perfect bridge, does it mean that you you shouldn't be doing bridge? Um, you know, if if you if you're in a bridge, uh, the arms are locked, um, but the shoulders don't open to 180 degrees, or the hips aren't opening to 180 degrees. Does that mean you shouldn't be able, shouldn't be doing the bridge until you can do those things? Um, or what if you're trying to do a bridge, but the elbows are bent, uh, but the hips are nice and open? Again, does that mean you shouldn't be doing the bridge? You should be doing something else. So I think this is like where you kind of need to choose, choose and pick your battles. Um, and again, based on what the rest of the session looks like. So. Generally speaking, if somebody's struggling to lock their elbows in a bridge, I don't want them to just keep brute forcing their way into trying to lock their elbows in a bridge. Um, I will want them, unless they have it somewhere else in their program. Let's say they're in like a, a hanging cobra, for example. If they can, if their elbows are completely locked in the hanging cobra, and they're getting that stretch, okay, I know that they're getting a straight arm stretch through the anterior chain in a movement it might not be the bridge but it's in a movement so maybe i can afford them to just keep trying in the bridge until their elbows lock but uh if this person is just super tight through the pecs biceps lats whatever and they're really struggling to get straight arm everywhere i'm probably going to make them come off of that bridge movement find something where they can lock the elbows uh, and get the straight arm stretch that we're kind of looking for or as close to it and then maybe come to the bridge a little bit later um, when you know when we can keep a bit more stretch in the right areas for example it's quite hard to give like an exact formula mm. 
I guess, through this podcast episode on when it's justifiable and when it's not. Mm. Basically, you need whatever it is that you're trying to create needs to be accomplished in some exercises somewhere. Um, if you're looking for straight legs in a pike, you probably want a straight leg stretch somewhere, even if most of your stretches are bent knee. If you're looking for a middle split um, with, no, let's just say like hips in line with your heels, you probably need that somewhere in your stretching, even if it's not in the middle split itself, so that you can eventually put it into that main movement. Yeah, that's nice, man. I think you clarified that quite well. I think we can use the movement, the big five, the gymnastics bridge as an assessment to see like where the client is currently at and then making a call on that position. What's the risk and reward ratio of them doing the bridge there? Is there a high risk of injury? And could I choose a different movement there that's going to help them get the shoulder flexion slash spinal extension that they need with less chance of injury? So the Cobra is a nice variation there. It's probably going to be a lot less risk in terms of getting injured than forcing them to do you know, long holds in the bridge or bridge push-ups or whatever else is there that might not help them progress there. The risk is high, the chance of injury is high, the reward is not as beneficial as hanging out in the cobra position. Um, and like you say, it's a very individual sort of thing. Like if it's, you're going to look at the bridge and see what is the key part that they need to work on. Is it the hip extension? Is it the spinal extension? Is it the shoulder? And then it's like, well, can we keep pushing them in the bridge and is that going to help them with this or do we need to find a different movement that's going to allow them to move, move forward with the progress on the bridge. And we come back to that again later. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to sort of break it down. The quality of the bridge is not high enough. The risk of the reward is, is not in the ratio we want to see. So therefore we move to something else where the quality can be high um, and we can train maybe even more quantity in that because the quality is high. And then we can come back to the bridge and hopefully see the quality improvement. If I summarize correctly what you say, mate. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. So sometimes I just need to test it for six weeks. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'm not entirely sure if if we just keep trying this bridge, if it will get better or if it won't. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give it to you for the next six weeks. Um, we're going to reassess in six weeks time. If it's improved, we're going to keep going. Mm. If there's been little to no improvement, I'm going to take it out and I'm going to approach this from a different angle. Yeah. Some sometimes that can be warranted because again, there's no rush. Like there's no deadline. Um, I want you, you know, obviously want everyone to make progress. Uh, but if they have like a multi-level list of goals and pro a program that they're doing some strength, they're doing handstands, and they're doing flexibility. And part of that flexibility is like four or five different poses. One of them being the bridge. I'm not going to give them like a full-on hour bridge session because they've already got so much in their program. Whereas if I if I can give someone a full on hour bridge session, it's like great, whatever. I know that in that hour, I'm going to be able to hit everything that I need to hit to make this bridge perfect. But if they've got like five to seven different goals and so many layers in their program, and bridge is one of them, you know what? I'm just going to give them two exercises. I'm going to give them one thing for whatever I think is their weakest link for the bridge. Let's just say it's the thoracic opening. I'll give them like a thoracic specific movement, and then I'm just going to give them bridge as the second exercise. See how that goes for six weeks. Has their bridge improved after six weeks? It hasn't improved at all. Cool. I'm going to scrap this and I'm going to change it for something else. Um, but sometimes you'll be surprised, actually. Sometimes you'll be like, oh, bridge is improving. Keep going as you are. 
you know. Yeah, that's it, mate. Don't beat a yeah. dead horse. Like, if it's not moving, then we're not going yeah. to uh, keep pushing that. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good way to think about it. Like you can't just make an assessment sometimes on one session. Like, you see the bridge yeah. once or you see the handstand once or you see something once and it's like, well, that's not enough to make a good call. And I think the longer you work with a client um, or the longer that you start to see how a client progresses, the easier it is to make those decisions or make those calls. Yeah. And you know, six weeks, we should see some progress, even if it's just a small amount of progress. And like you say, if not, well, guess what? It's time to change the stimulus or it's time to change the program. And maybe what you choose next, maybe you won't see any progress with that. It could be the wrong thing, but you don't know until you try it. Um, and then you keep playing with it, keep exploring it, and eventually something opens up and something changes. Um, yep. And that's not to say that you can't go back to that previous session and see gains in the future or progress in the future. But like I think you said it nicely, there's layers, different layers to sort of un, unpick or to work through. And once you release one layer, then the other layer could become the issue and it's going backwards and forwards and being able to sort of see those limitations and progress with that. And it's an interesting conversation. Like when I sit, sit and think about the quality and quantity of flexibility training, it's like sometimes it's hard to put your finger on. But I think that discussion we were just had about how we break down, you know, the big five or the big six and we look at it, um, really sort of clarifies maybe where quality, we're looking for quality, but we're also using quantity and other movements to help improve that quality over time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah, agreed. <laughs> Get in. I'm, I'm stuck on My, that dead horse comment. The dead horse comment. <laughs> I'll let you use that one. Feel free to take away. Don't, don't be a dead horse, mate. It's probably an Aussie thing. That's why you don't know it. You haven't been here for long enough yeah. to pick up the Aussie, all the Aussie slang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll we'll trade you, mate. Kangaroo. Don't worry. You'll be here for your working holiday, and in, in a few months, you'll, you'll have it all down pat. Yeah, I need a little Aussie, <laughs> Aussie um, guidebook for slang terms, <laughs> slang book. How to speak Aussie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure, mate. Um, just an eye on the clock, mate. Um, is there anything else that comes to mind when we're talking quality and quantity and all that sort of stuff that you don't think we've covered or that you want, you want to talk about a little bit? Yeah. Um, just, just keep in mind that quality is usually more of an expression than it is like something you can do on, on demand. It's like if you don't have the the perfect quality of an aesthetic that you want probably means not that you just have to keep trying harder but maybe there's something that needs to be fixed for you to get that maybe it's a level of flexibility or level of motor control or, or strength that you need to produce that quality so whether that's if, if quality is you know your biggest goal you really want this like super aesthetic line or whatever maybe you need to dial it down a bit figure out what it is you need to fix and then come back to it um but also don't let it get in the way of you getting stronger. You know, like keep trying to get stronger, keep trying to progress either your reps or your your weights as you move forward in your in your training. And you, you can find a healthy balance of both. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah I agree. I don't think I don't think it is one or the other. I think it's both. And there's a time for quality and there's a time for quantity. And if your quality isn't working to the level where you want it, then maybe you need to do regress and do more quantity or regress and focus on the quality of the regression um, until you can build up quality quantity, like both, and then maybe go back to it. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot in it. I don't think there is one or the other. So I think if you've got 
particular coach or a particular person like you had picking on you for your handstand push-ups or whatever saying that oh, you need this quality then i think there's an argument that maybe you need some quantity and regress movements and um there's not one that's right i think there is that that idea of we need both in our training there is a time and a place for both quantity and quality in everything i think in gymnastics in olympic lifting in fitness in all walks of training i believe and it's i think it, it goes across even more training like we could talk about business i think we talked about this before sometimes in your business it's just about you have to do the work you've got to step in and you've got to actually do the work again and again Ten thousand reps get good at writing if you want to be a good writer get good at playing music if you want to play music get good at writing programs get good at doing whatever it is you want to do sometimes it's just like you've got to do 10,000 reps, do the work. So yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Mr. Ernie, what else is happening in your world in the next couple of months besides Christmas, obviously? Oh, mate, don't ask. The next <laughs> couple of months is flat. I've got nothing going yeah. on other than just normal, normal coaching, normal, uh, better training and just better working. To be honest, I don't have any, any new updates or projects for you guys. Um, once I get settled in Oz, I'll probably try to, to try and sort a few things out but for now it's just going to be standard online coaching probably a few more posts here and there and hopefully yeah. another podcast before we leave for yeah. australia we get one more in before the end of the year mate hopefully fingers crossed that'll be good yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about yourself yeah uh yeah it's one of those things at the moment pretty busy with clients which has been great um yeah been busy building some more programs so i've got a couple of free programs on the website one's core compression and forward fold flexibility and the other nice. one i've just finished building is like an adult beginners handstand program so if you've got a fear of being upside down on your hands and you don't know where to start that journey i suggest you visit the tstmethod.com website and check out the, uh, the free program. It's only just gone live, so I haven't really talked about it too much, but it's up there if you want to check it out. Um, yeah, I want to make more programs, more templates for sort of basic skills. So that's one of my goals for the new year. Um, just playing with that and trying to think about that a lot more. Um, and yeah, we're looking to stay in this part of the world. So we're in South Australia on their peninsula right now. So uh, we're about, about to end our house share for those who have been following my stories and know that I'm doing a house swap at the moment sort of thing. Um, yeah, so we're going to start renting a property here. But yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up with you in January, mate. And if you haven't been training too hard, I should be able to beast you in training. So that'll be good. Get one up on you. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eat, eat, no concerns, sir. All the Aussie sunshine where you're suffering in the UK with all the darkness. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting vitamin zero at the moment. Loads of it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Mate, if people want to find out more about you and what, what you do, where should, they, uh, where should they find you? You can find me on my Instagram. It's probably the best place. That's where I'm yeah. most active at the moment at Learning to Human. Um, yeah, that's your best bet right now. Although the website is www.learningtohuman.co.uk. Yeah, yeah, sweet mate. Should be good. Are you going to run retreats in Australia when you get here? Oh, hopefully. Hey, you know what? I might try and do a like a a wilderness camping, spearfishing retreat with some some yeah. handstands somewhere in there. Although I need to know if I'm able, if I'm allowed to do that. I don't know if my insurance covers shooting fish with guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that always always tricky, isn't it, mate? So yeah, damn insurance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once I'm settled, we'll hey, who knows? Maybe we'll do something together out there. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun, mate. We'll have to look into that and see how we go. Yeah. Right, dude, on that, we are, we better finish up. It's getting late here, but uh, it's been great to chat quality and quantity, and I'm sure people will take some uh, great tits and tats out of that, little little cues, little bits of information that will hopefully help them to progress yep. with their GST. Hopefully.